Hello, and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us, or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Nice to see you. Welcome to the Vineyard. My name is Aaron. Really glad that you are here. We are in this series called Live No Lies. This is part three of four. So we got another week uh, after today. And uh, the premise of the series is that we have an enemy. We have, uh, there are very real cosmic forces that work against us that fight against our well-being. We have genuine spiritual forces that we must oppose. And that's not a super comfortable idea, but it happens to be super true. And so we are well served by being awake to this reality. And then we've also been talking about um, how there is something like a counter-trinity or an unholy trinity uh, we find in Scripture, and this is really made clear by the Desert Fathers, um, that there are three great enemies of our soul, the devil, the flesh, and the world. And this slide here sort of lays out the premise of, of or the, basically the strategy that we're trying to understand collectively over the course of this series, which is that the devil works through deceptive ideas. Okay? He's a liar, Jesus said, a liar and the father of lies. And so that's his move. That's how he operates. He works through deceptive ideas. Those deceptive ideas play to our own disordered desires. This is the idea of the flesh. We find this a lot in scripture, and frankly, we find this a lot in our own experience of reality, which is that there's something in us that we have a bent toward evil. We have an inclination toward wickedness. We find our hearts turning that way again and again. There's something in us that moves us away from love and toward selfishness. That's the idea of the flesh, and the enemy, the devil, specifically tells us lies that play to that sinful bent within us. And then those lies are then reinforced and normalized in a sinful society, which the Bible calls the world. This does not refer to rivers and trees and oceans and streams and people. This isn't about God's creation. This is about the sinful world around us over which the Bible makes this very clear. It's unsettling, but it's true. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is the ruler of this dark world. And as a result, the society around us tends to reinforce these deceptive ideas that have already been reinforced by our own sinful tendencies. All right? So that's the strategy. What we want to do is keep this strategy in focus as we move forward, our heads out of the sand. Okay? Here in just a moment, we're going to look in Galatians chapter 5. Um, but first, let me say a prayer here, and then we'll, then we'll dive in in earnest. King Jesus, we love you, we love you, we love you. It's so good to be here uh, with your body. In a very real way, as we meet with one another, we are meeting with you. We are the body of Christ. We are the family of God. And we gather here in your presence, experiencing you in one another, experiencing you um, meeting here with us. So, Lord, would you please come, um, speak to us in this time, help us to hear with clarity what you have for us, help us to not miss uh, the gift of truth that that you're bringing to us, Lord, uh, throughout this whole service. Um, Stir in our hearts, Lord. There's something that needs to be highlighted and we need to take note of as we gather here because you're, you're pointing it out for us. Help us to see it, 
to take it seriously, to recognize it as you, um, and then to move forward in obedience. So Lord, we ask humbly that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in this room, even as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. Like I said, we'll be in Galatians chapter 5 if you want to follow along. We'll get there in just a minute though. Um, So today we're going to talk about the flesh, sort of innate sense of uh, sinfulness that we have, our, our, our inclination toward selfishness, um, toward rebellion. And so we're going to talk about how we can overcome the flesh and how we can defeat sin. Now, before I jump into that, though, I want to make a very important note of clarification, like really important, because I, we cannot be confused about why all of this, this whole rubric, our whole understanding here about why we're fighting the enemy in the first place, we cannot be, under, we cannot be confused about why this all actually matters so much, okay? Because if you're not careful, you could sort of take an overview of the sermon series and get the impression that what we're really doing is rolling out a strategy for sin management so that we can collectively keep our noses a little bit cleaner. That's not the point. Um, there's sort of this, it kind of, it, it makes sense in our society. It's reinforced in a number of ways. So once again, it's a lie that we tend to believe. This concept that Jesus sort of, he died for me so that somehow he wouldn't have to be so mad at me all the time. And now I live hopefully with enough righteousness and enough not badness to keep him from getting mad at me and staying mad at me again. And we sometimes can face our religion, our faith in this way. And man, talk about adventures and missing the point. Like that is not the idea. I've, if that's your worldview, I have like wonderful news for you. The great and beautiful aim of life is not for you to get out of and hopefully stay, hopefully stay out of trouble with God. That's not the point. Jesus came and died to restore his family, to reunite us with him so that we could then walk with him now, forever. And the reason why we stick around in this world, even after we have established this relationship, this reunion with the Lord, the reason why we're still here is not so that we can prove our worth or test our mettle or demonstrate our devotion or earn our way further. It's not any of that. The reason why we're still here, even after reestablishing our union with him, is so that out of that unity, out of walking with him, we can then, as an extension of that relationship, turn and love our neighbors. And we do that so that we can, in turn, contribute to God's great plan of renewing all things. I'm about to preach a sermon about avoiding sin, about denying the flesh. Let's not go into it thinking that I'm about to give you a handful of tips for how to stay out of trouble with the big guy. That's not what we're doing. It's about walking with Jesus, loving your neighbor, and joining God in the renewal of all things. This is about your freedom. And we cannot do that well if we are slaves to sin and to the flesh. So the Bible teaches us how to not be slaves to sin and to the flesh. Does that make sense? Amen. Yeah. This is pretty bad. <laughs> Does that make sense? All right, thanks. Thanks. Okay, so Galatians 5. Uh, here we go, verse 13. All right, I'm going to give you guys a, a chance here to do better. For you were called to be free. Everybody say free. Oh, that was so much better, y'all. I think it's so annoying when preachers ask you to repeat words, but 
it just feels so good when you're up here all by yourself and then people make sounds back at you. It, it makes me feel less alone. So, But that's, the, that's an important word. For you were called to be free. Let that settle in. You were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only, don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But in contrast to that, he says, serve one another through love. So just note, the goal is not for you to not sin. The goal is for you to be free. And as it turns out, sin enslaves us. Also, I want you to note that the, the flesh here, which is, again, sometimes translated sinful nature, it moves us towards sin, and therefore that means away from freedom. Again, that, that internal bent in each of us towards selfishness or gratification, those impulses left unchecked, will enslave us. That's the idea of the flesh. Verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. So note the setup here, guys. Paul is showing us that following our flesh ends up working against the highest law which is the law of love. It's loving your neighbor. And in fact, if we follow the flesh, then we end up devouring one another, which is pretty much the opposite of loving your neighbor if you devour them. And that's, that he's, he's using really stark ideas here on purpose. The contrast of, of walking with Jesus and away from the flesh looks like literally us devouring one another. And I think we've seen a lot of that. Now, verse 16. I say then... Walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you were led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So he's going back to that same idea. He's saying once again, hey guys, don't make this about rules. If so, you're missing the point. Make this about the Spirit of God living within you, living through you, leading you into freedom, and that looks like loving your neighbor. And that Spirit inside of you is very clear, very direct. It will oppose the desires of your flesh. It will oppose those, those impulsive tendencies, plain and simple. Those desires take your freedom, and they hurt other people. And so we keep them in check. All right? Back to the text, verse 19 now. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. You, you get it. <laughs> I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's very clear. And you go, well, why not? Why will they not inherit the kingdom of God? And you might wonder, is it because God thinks that those things are so bad and, and so defiled and so gross that he just can't possibly forgive them? No, it's not that. It's not even close to that. The text is really clear. This is about your freedom. And those are things that enslave you. That's the point of the opposition. The kingdom of God is, think about it, it's the land of the free. And entering the land of the free means it requires exiting the prison. And when we choose to follow the flesh, 
we're putting handcuffs on ourselves. We are locking ourselves away. And what Paul is saying is, guys, don't do that because then you're locked away. This is about you being free. Galatians 5 verse 1, which is how Paul starts this conversation. We jumped in at verse 13, but verse 1 says this, For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm, then don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. He's like, he set you free. He's delivered you from the ways of the flesh. Don't then turn around and choose the slavery that you've been delivered from. I want you to be free. Also, while we're here, I want to I point out something that about this list, um, which these are all temptations that trace back, again, to our sinful nature, to our flesh. Like, these are temptations that are kind of like built in. They're built in. So let me read the list again, verse 19. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, anything similar. Here's the thing. Satan could quit today, and we'd be tempted by all those things tomorrow. Amen. You see? Yeah. He could quit today, and we would still be tempted by all of those things tomorrow. This stuff's kind of built in. Also, I want you to notice that these are all things that we can become addicted to. Psychologically addicted, physiologically addicted, chemically addicted. Addiction is at the heart of this list. That's not a coincidence because addiction is a very literal form of non-freedom. It is a form of slavery and God loves you enough to protect you from those things. That's the list. And Paul's direction here is for us to walk in the Spirit, okay? To, to walk with Jesus. Um, and when the flesh runs the show, when we don't do that, then it gives rise to that gnarly list that we read a couple times and things like it, as it says. But um, we're going to continue on. Let's see what walking in the Spirit gives rise to. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, the offspring, the result of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The law is not against any of those things. That's a better list. That's a counter list. That is, he's being so, so direct with us. That's a freedom list. The other one is a slavery and addiction list. This is a freedom list. Now, the premise is really simple. Now I want, but I want to pause here and point out an argument that's made, it's made actually a lot better in the book than I have time to sort of remake it here. Um, but I want to at least go there for a minute because it's so incredibly important. As a, I hope I've made really clear and I'm being intentionally redundant. <laughs> the Bible frames this whole thing up as a conversation about freedom. And the message is very clear. If you follow your flesh, you're enslaved. You follow the spirit, you're free. What's interesting is the deceptive lies of the enemy that play to our disordered desires, it says the exact opposite. Just turns the whole, there's nothing subtle about it. We've talked about last week how the enemy sometimes is very subtle. There's absolutely nothing subtle about this. He says if you follow the spirit, then you will be a slave. Because if you follow the Spirit, that means you're saying no to certain things, you're following certain rules, and that means you're being, you're being oppressed by these sort of 
regressive ideals and approaches toward life, rules that aren't even natural for humans to try and follow because these things are sort of built in. He just says the exact opposite. And then he says, but if you let your impulses run the show, then you'll be free. In fact, let's redefine freedom altogether. That's what freedom is. Freedom is letting your impulses run the show. Unchained impulses and drives, that's what freedom is. Let's redefine it as such. That's the lie of the enemy. It's like the song that Elsa is belting out at the top of her lungs in the movie Frozen. Do you remember this? No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Wow. Thanks a whole lot, Disney, for that little nugget of wisdom. <laughs> no, like this is real. I didn't, I, this is not a joke. This is a, these are lyrics from the song that your children, if you have them, sang at the top of their lungs. Now, fortunately, when we're kids, we don't actually think about what we're singing. singing if you guys have noticed that. Like I go back and listen to songs I listened to in high school, and I was like, oh, no. That's, I should not have listened to any. I had no idea. Wow. Then I learned new things as an adult. Okay. So fortunately, your kids probably aren't really thinking about it, but there's a good chance a little girl in a princess outfit in your house has, screaming, has been screaming those words probably horribly off pitch. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. That's the heart of the deception. And again, like I said, it's really not subtle. If this were to be truthful, it would say no right, no wrong, no rules for me, and in very short order, I will be utterly enslaved. That would, I mean, it wouldn't fit musically, but. And as ridiculous as it is, that is increasingly the prevailing moral standard in our, in our broader culture. That's the speech. And you go, well, that's opposite to Christian wisdom. And I will be, of course it is. Of course it's opposite. I mean, crack open Proverbs. I mean, it's opposite to Christian wisdom. The other thing I want to point out, though, is that it's opposite to any wisdom from any reasonable school of thought, from any religion, from any point in history or around the globe that I can find anywhere. Like, any of them. It's not just our wisdom literature. It's all the wisdom literature everywhere from all of history. It goes, well, that's nonsense. We go, actually, I mean, look, we could just open our eyes because honestly, anybody with half a brain and even just a tiny bit of real lived experience, they know empirically, firsthand, they know that if you just do whatever you want, it backfires horribly. We know this. And yet, that's the mindset that has largely taken root in our society. Increasingly, people are going, yeah, we're just going gonna, gonna to follow the flesh, right? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free, and I'm going to do that in spite of the fact that I absolutely, objectively know better. But I'm still going that route. Now, why would we do that? that, that makes no, why would we do that? Here's why. Because the enemy's lies play to our disordered desires. Plays to our flesh. I'm always trying to get us to see our own biases. This one's really obvious. Guys, it's a whole lot easier for me to get you to believe a lie if deep down you really want that lie to be true. It's so much easier that way. 
Like most of the work is already done. If I'm trying to get you to believe something that you want to be true, it's more than 90% done before I even whisper the first lie. We want it to be wise to, to follow our impulses. And we want that despite all of the evidence and all of the reasonableness, we choose to believe the lie because we want it to be true. And increasingly, our society is going this way. And these are the type of things I fantasize about. Um, I wish we could get all the people everywhere together, just one big worldwide symposium, and just have an honest, honest look at the idea that we're supposed to pursue our unfiltered appetites and then just ask the obvious question of everybody everywhere, guys, how's that working out? So, all right, that's your premise. You've been doing it for a while. How's that going? Is that, is that working? Or is it obviously not working? I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean or hyperbolic. I'm really not. But I, I meant it a second ago when I said that, that any honest person with half a brain and any lived experience whatsoever knows full well that it's dumb to follow your unfettered impulses. And yet, that, that line of just nonsensical bull works really well on people. And dang it, it works really well on me. And I know I know better. But knowing better doesn't equal doing better. And why is that? Here's a point. It's like that because, let's be honest, our impulses are really powerful. They're, just, they're really powerful. Let's not just run past this. Oh, the flesh, that's obvious. We can easily dismiss that. No, it's really powerful. It's part of the counter unholy trinity that we're facing and I think maybe the most powerful of the three. And that's why the instructions from the Apostle Paul here are so stark and adamant and clear and insistent. Keep in step with the Spirit, man. Left foot, right, like every moment. Like this unrelenting reality where you walk with Jesus. He doesn't say... Touch base with the Spirit every so often, you know? Just keep things aligned. Touch base, check in, follow up, circle back, pop in. No, it's not, none of this. It's, he's saying we're, we're not looking for like an occasional spiritual shout out. That's, no, no, no. Keep in step with the Spirit. Left foot, right foot, left foot, like metronome style. Just stride for stride. Keep in step with the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the only means of not being crushed. So here's what he says with all the urgency and the warning and the tone is so intense. He goes, don't leave his side. Like just every step. Those are the instructions of somebody who's not playing around. They're not playing around. Because he's that adamant that you be free. And out of that freedom, love your neighbor. So two more verses, 24 and 25. Now those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh. That's, I want to, that's another sermon, but I want to preach it, but I won't. Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step. Stride for stride, man. If you walk away, your sinful nature is going to get you in a second. Because it's powerful. Even though it's obvious. Even though we know better. It's powerful. And it takes our freedom in a second. And he says really explicitly, I'm warning you. This is a warning. And it's not to make you afraid. It's to make you free. 
Because come on, you and Jesus, hour by hour, link up, walk this thing out because the devil is deliberately telling you lies that play to your fleshly desires and that are then normalized in a sinful society. It's a whole strategy. And here's the thing, we're all way too smart to fall for it, but we all still do because it's powerful and alluring. And let me be really honest here for a second. It's also exhausting because the lies are unrelenting from the outside and the lies of our flesh from the inside, they're unrelenting too. They're always there. They never, they never give up. Um, who's seen the movie 50 First Dates? Quite a few of you. It's, pretty, it's, it's some Adam Sandler gold. It's pretty good stuff. It's uh, Adam Sandler. I love some lowbrow humor, man. Let's go. Um, dumber the better. Uh, 50 First Dates, Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore. And the premise is that Drew, I don't care about spoiler alerts. It's an old movie. This is on you if I spoil it for you. <laughs> but <laughs> Drew, Drew Barrymore has, uh, has this horrible accident. And then after that, she has short-term memory loss. And every night she goes to bed and wakes up thinking that it's the day of her accident again. Every day, even though years have passed. <laughs> and so every day, she has to wake up and start all over. And every day, there's this video that they play to, to pull her up to speed. And the video lays it out. Hey, this is who you are. This is what you're about. This is who you love. This is what you care about. This is what your life is. This is direction your life is headed toward. Every day, it's just to start, a, start afresh with all those ideas. Think about that movie. You know what I realized? I'm Drew Barrymore. I am. And I'm not in love with Adam Sandler, but like, but I'm Drew Barrymore. What do I mean by that? I mean, somehow, somehow I will fight and claw to get perspective and see the obvious that I think I'm stating as the obvious, which clearly following desires of the flesh leads to my enslavement and I want to be free and that Paul's, Paul's teaching is so incredibly clear and I get it pulled into focus and I understand it and then I go to bed and I wake up and I have to start all over. I have to remind myself every single morning who I am, what I love, what I care about, the direction that my life is facing, the things that I've said no to, the things that I've said yes to. And I have to do it again every single day because the lies of the enemy are unrelenting, because the lies of my own flesh and sinful desire are unrelenting, because following the desires of the flesh is natural. And so that default setting never really relents. It's always there. There's always more. I swear this happens to me every time I wash the dishes, um, which my wife will tell you is not nearly as often enough, but I wash the dishes and I, I go through them pretty thorough actually for when I do it, I'm pretty good at it. And I wash all the dishes and I, I like, I do all the countertops and, and then clean out the sink and everything is like dry and just perfect. Like it's never been, you know, used at all. And then this happens every time. And then I turn around and see like four pots and pans on the stove that I forgot about. And it's like, it's never done. <laughs> Here we go again. And trying to keep in step with the spirit, trying to run away from the desires of the flesh. It's like washing the dishes, man. There's always another dish. <laughs> the work is never done. That's what crucifying the flesh is. We have to do it again and again because it always comes back. 
I've shared this illustration before, but this is one that has been said back to me again and again and again, probably more than any other, so I know it resonated with a lot of folks, which has been encouraging to know that I'm not alone. But trying to run away from the desires of the flesh, be it lust or addiction or anger, these things that seem to naturally reappear again and again and again. It reminds me of uh, the infinite runner games on your, on your phone, uh, games like Temple Run, or Minion Rush is one of them for the kids, or Subway Surfer. If these don't ring a bell, you can space out for a minute. But if you don't want I'm talking about, stick, stick with me. At the beginning of the game, there's this course that lays out in front of you. And at the beginning of the game, there's this horrifying beast that's trying to destroy you. And so you run like crazy. You frantically run. And if you stumble once, you can hear the beast breathing down your neck. You, store, you stumble twice, and it's game over. That's what it feels like to run away from the desires of the flesh. Like, I don't want to be overcome by lust, so I get up in the morning and I run like crazy. I stumble once, I'm in trouble. I stumble twice, I'm dead. I want to get away from anger. I want to get away from addiction. I want to get away from the things that are controlling me and enslaving me. And so every morning I get up and I run like crazy. And if I stumble once, I'm in trouble. I stumble twice, I'm ruined. That's what it feels like. And you might say, Aaron, that doesn't sound like freedom at all. And it doesn't. But there's real hope here in Paul's description of our flesh. And it's found throughout the New Testament. The idea of our flesh as an appetite. It's an appetite. Our sinful desires are appetites. It's a very helpful way to understand this. Because handling appetites is really, really simple. It is. I didn't say easy. It's really hard. But the directives are really, really simple. If you feed an appetite, it grows. If you starve it, it shrinks. That's the hope for the temple run. And the, 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 the day, each day spent frantically running. That doesn't have to be the reality. Let me read you a little poem. I don't know where it came from. Two natures beat within my breast. The one is foul, the one is blessed. The one I love, the one I hate, the one I feed will dominate. The thing is, and this is really hopeful and encouraging, at least to me, is you can get to a point where the screaming desires of the flesh can be reduced to a whisper. And the once faint, distant desires to walk with Jesus, they can be elevated to a screen and dominate your heart and your mind and your soul. And instead of your mind returning to your base impulses again and again, like the needle of a compass returns to the north, your mind can return to Jesus again and again throughout the day like the needle of a compass returns to the north. You starve the flesh, feed the spirit, keep in step. There are people who wake up every day angry and brooding, just filled with vile and contempt, and it's all they can think about. It rules their days. And there are people who wake up with joy and worship and peace and they hunger to walk closely with Jesus. See this. 
Those people both have the same fleshly impulses and desires. They're the same. It's just that one person starved their spirit and the other person starved their flesh. It's making sense. There are people who burn with lust all day long for all sorts of illicit sexual encounters. And there are other people who are filled with passion and desire that's focused solely on the person they're married to. And the only difference is which appetites got fed and which ones were starved. It is for freedom that you have been set free. Keep in step with the Spirit. Starve the appetites of the flesh. Feed the appetites of the Spirit. And then you'll really be free. Hope this makes sense. Wrapping up here, Emily's going to come up and help with some music in the background. Um, here's what I want to say here at the end. Just, this is just what we did last week. We'll do it next week as well. Um, we're going to wrap up just by talking about a couple of spiritual practices that help us overcome the flesh. Last week, a couple practices to help us overcome the devil. These are sort of spiritual rhythms that we use in really practical ways. So we have the idea now of keeping in step with the Spirit, the concept of starving the flesh and feeding the Spirit. So we have the concept. Of just As we wrap up here, just a couple spiritual practices about how we can begin to exercise those muscles so we can actually do it. Um, and the first one is confession. The spiritual practice the often overlooked spiritual practice of confession. Confession is incredibly powerful because it breaks the power of the secret. That's the thing. The, our sins that are connected to our sort of more base impulses, these are the ones that for some reason carry the most shame and the most stigma, and we're therefore least likely to confess them to our brothers and sisters in the family of God. And I, but I think that's a distortion as well because it's honestly, it's what we have in common. Like whoever you're confessing it to, they have the same base impulses, the same sinful nature. Like this is a universal reality. And so we should be all the more likely to confess these things. But the fact is we're all the more likely not to. It is so important for you to break the power of the secret to have people in your life who you love and trust completely who you can tell them what's actually going on the ways in which you are struggling against the flesh the ways in which frankly you've given up the struggle people need to know they'll walk with you they'll pray with you and you need to break the power of the secret the second spiritual practice is fasting Fasting is incredibly, incredibly powerful on a number of levels. It's incredibly powerful because in the, in the process of fasting, of denying ourselves food, in that process, um, we are moving toward prayer and keeping in step with the Spirit. So it's very powerful on that level. But on another level, you are demonstrating to your mind, body, soul, and spirit, I actually can say no to appetites. I can have a desire of my flesh and I cannot give in to it. And then as you work to do it, the Spirit will meet you in that 
And that capacity to say no to the flesh and yes to the spirit, those, those muscles, they get built. They get built up. You get better at it. And in that process, you move more and more toward freedom. All right, let's have Ceylon now. We do this every week. A couple minutes to pray and reflect. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, as we can't help but think of our own shortcomings and failures, the, the ways in which we have and do succumb to the flesh, would you remind us now that this is not about sin management? This is not about keeping you from getting mad at us. You are eager to forgive. You are eager to walk with us. This is about us being free. You've given us the rules because the rules are just so obviously there to set us free and you want us to be free. Lord, if we've believed a distorted version of that, Lord, would you just pull it into focus now so we can see you've given us directions, you've given us values to govern our lives so that we can walk in real freedom. And if we need examples of how that works, help us to just open our eyes and see the truth that is just all around us. It's for freedom that we've been set free. Let us not return now to the yoke of slavery. Or for those of us who just feel exhausted by the pursuit of the flesh, which never seems to relent, to encourage us and strengthen us. Would you remind us that we can weaken the flesh by starving the flesh. And we can strengthen our spirit by feeding our spirit through spiritual practices like prayer and confession and fasting. Would you give us hope that we can truly be free? Because he who the Son has set free is, is like really, really, really free. May we not believe the lies of the enemy, even though they are enforced by a sinful society. Even though they are normalized in the mindsets of people around us. Help us to see the clear and obvious wisdom. It's crazy. It's just crazy that we would allow such obvious truth to be distorted, and yet it happens in us all the time. Help us to see the truth last week. The truth will set us free.